0: So, maybe you're a crazy person, like me, who has over 400 reigns, and you want to name them all. Or maybe you love creating new characters for D&D. Or maybe you just really like learning the meaning and origins behind some of your favorite nerdy character names from pop culture. Well then, it sounds like you need Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Rupp. This is an incredibly fun and easy read. It taught me not only is Ulrich the name of a war god, but also a Sith master. It also comes with one more added benefit. It's a great resource for naming your babies. Follow the link in the description below and pick up your copy of Naming Your Little Geek today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lerner and with me as always this
1: his shield brother Axel Wright. How's it going today man? Tiring. So I got home or I should say I got off work I immediately had to go to Home Depot to pick up wood and then I spent about an hour cutting that wood and putting up more planks for my fence in the heat and then I had about Oh, 20 minutes to cool off, drink some water, play a round of total war before this recording so
0: you know you're supposed to do your you know lawn work after the sun goes down right
1: uh doing work with dangerous tools in the dark seems like a bad idea
0: <laughs> oh that that is fair you kind of are between a rock and a hard place I' hadn't, yeah okay other than you that get you a I'm... good shop lights set
1: yeah other than that I'm all right how are you?
0: I am exhausted from a very, very long week. I'm
1: sorry to hear that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just regular in between real life day job stuff has just drained me. But fun story, you'll get a kick out of this. I've been watching Power Rangers with my daughter. Nice. And she turned to me tonight and said, "Daddy, there should be a green Power Ranger. That'd be cool." Ha! <laughs> 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 it's just fun. That would be cool. Yeah, I'd like that. <laughs> and now I'm just like, oh, it's going to blow your little mind the way it blew all ours.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome to see that very genuine kind of, that is the response. and Yeah, that's very cool. Cool little story.
0: Yeah. So now, watching Power Rangers with my daughter has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Holds up in ways I didn't expect. Uh,
1: glad to hear it. I'm, I'm watching two older shows of my own right now, although one of them is my favorite show ever, so... Biased, and the other one is my favorite sitcom ever, so also biased. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh good time for nostalgia as the world burns around us. Anyways, let's move on to the fun part of the podcast. The people that like our preamble ramble so much that they're like, Hey, these guys deserve money for all the hard work they do. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Gelly, Marquis, Chris jimmin River Gelly, crook Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brendan Angie, John vinnels Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Patrick Anzing, Carson mel Scott Rimmerman, and Peter Cook. And if you'd like to join that illustrious region just head on over to patreon.com forward slash shields. 25 cents an episode is a dollar a month that keeps the lights on, that keeps the A.C. on, that keeps us rolling.
1: Especially the A.C. It's very necessary right now.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I'm back in my normal setting, so it's not too bad. But over the weekend, I went back to Idaho, and I, I forgot how ungodly hot that area is.
1: Yeah. Well... <laughs> Let's see, where I am, I think it was only in the mid-90s today, which is lower than it's been, so.
0: <laughs> I think during my visit, it only got up to the 90s, but it was just like, oh, gods, I forgot how oppressive the heat is here, and it doesn't go away at night, because it's all big slabs of stone that just radiate the heat.
1: Yeah, and it's a desert. <laughs> I... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I can handle cold very easily. Like, if it's really cold, uh, that is kind of my element. But heat, I don't handle very well at all. So,
0: Yeah, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm a Wookiee, and Wookiees are not designed for heat, we're, despite the fact that I grew up. I spent 25 years of my life living in Idaho, but I'll spend a large extent of that time near or in the water.
1: I was about to say, dude, you and I, are we're, we're basically Scandinavian. We come from colder climate, so.
0: Yeah, No. Fuck the heat.
1: (laughs) Anyway, let's get us on to a not weather-related discussion like Hacks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is still Lord of the Rings month, so we're still talking Lord of the Rings. And we don't have a guest this week because, well, we just kind of ran out of available people and time crunch anyways. So we are going to talk about the big question that's kind of been looming, I feel, over the Rings of Power, outside of all, you know, the bad faith racism of... Should the Lord of the Rings have just stayed a trilogy? I
1: mean, I feel like every time we have a co- a conversation like this, I start off with "there's an easy answer," and then let's move on to talking about it in detail for an hour.
0: So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's us in a nutshell. I mean, but this hell, one that's I the feel podcasts like podcasts in a nutshell.
1: True, but I feel like this one I might get more pushback because to me, it's an obvious answer of no, because I don't think any artistic piece is. I don't know what the right term for this is is above positive addendum. Now, is it always likely? With some material, it's more difficult. I mean, Watchmen is a good example of that. But even and still with Watchmen, it's possible. So same thing with Lord of the Rings. Like, oh, and we got
0: one of the best shows ever out of a sequel to Watchmen.
1: That's what I'm saying, is that there's nothing that I feel like you couldn't add to. Now, the risk and reward is all over the map. And yeah. and how, po- how plausible it is that it'll be good is... Like, it's always possible, but how likely... Okay, example. If tomorrow some director came out and said, I'm making a sequel to Citizen Kane, I'd be like, okay, it's possible that's good, but why?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think we have both matured past the point of... This thing is sacred. It must never be adapted, touched, or sequelized again because it will somehow damage the original.
1: That's the... Okay, great... To me, the perfect example of that is The Last Airbender because that show is amazing and that movie is horrible. And guess what? The show is still fucking amazing and the movie did nothing to harm the existence of the show, so... No,
0: that's the thing. I don't even buy the... Well, they're adding to the continuity. My dudes, my ladies, my non-binaries... Continuity is what you make of it. Yeah. We have got to let go of this stupid obsession with continuity we have as nerds. It's getting ridiculous.
1: Well, it's funny because now that more people are getting into the idea of continuity because of, the, because of the MCU, which, of course, Marvel didn't invent continuity, but bringing the idea of comic book continuity to a general mass was basically an invention of the MCU. So, But again, continuity, as you're saying, right? Continuity is fun. It's a fun little yes. addition to whatever medium you're engaging with. It's not paramount. Hell, Ulrich and I are both 40k people and the entire canon of 40k is kind of built around the idea of uh, wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff.
0: Yeah, no, people are getting way too into continuity and it's ruining their enjoyment of things. I'm looking at you, Star Wars. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, getting kind of So no, I don't think Lord of the Rings should have stayed a trilogy. I don't think making more of it really hurts the original. If anything, any of the bad adaptations just go to show how great that original trilogy is.
1: Yeah, like I didn't watch Battle of the Five Armies. I've heard basically nothing good about Battle of the Five Armies, so I feel no desire to watch it.
0: But the Always f- oh, bad.
1: Yeah, but its existence doesn't inve- We're talking about Lord of the Rings for for a month for a reason, right? I mean other than the fact that Rings of Power is coming out, but the point is that those movies that franchise, Lord of the Rings is literally basically the temple under which all modern fantasy exists to try to limit yeah. it to, okay, this one crew made this one set of basically perfect movies and then never touched the material again. Why Why do that? Why limit artistic... If there's an artistic creative who's very skilled and has something interesting they want to do with it, then as long as there's passion, let people, you know, futz with... The- I mean, I'm a big proponent of having things go to eminent or um, public domain in general. Yes, so
0: because that's where you get the really cool shit.
1: You'll also get tons of bad shit, but the good. Sh- guess what? After a long enough time, the bad shit will be forgotten, and the good shit will be filtered to the top. That's how. That's why. Yeah. That is why you always hear people say, like, music was better in my day. Guess what? No, it wasn't. You just forgot about all the bad stuff. It didn't stick in your brain like all the good stuff did.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, the same thing with the movie. There were so many bad movies. You don't think about all the bad movies until you see it in the bargain bin. You're like, oh, yeah, that movie came out. Ah, fuck. And then you move on with your day. And this is also doubly dumb because if Lord of the Rings was just three books that were very kind of simple, you might have an argument. But Tolkien... Created a world and a backstory and a whole fucking universe of lore that is left to explore, and it's a fun universe to play in.
1: But even with really simple stories, you can still get away with doing all sorts of... I mean, the best example of that period is Sherlock Holmes. Because Conan Doyle was making pulp stories, like, I think he was... was he paid by the word? I wasn't sure, but he was just making... Stories that he didn't even really care about all that much. In fact, he came. To, he grew to hate Sherlock Holmes, the character. Oddly enough, Agatha Christie also grew to hate uh, Hercule Poirot. I don't know what's this with writers and hating their detectives they create, but
0: I think it's it's become the
1: only thing you're known for. I guess so. But but the point is that the actual Sherlock Holmes stories, especially the early ones, and don't get me wrong. I like the Sign of Four. It's an enjoyable story, but those first like four stories, especially, have this weird thing happen. That really bothers me where at the end, like in the last couple pages, Sherlock just shows up with information he found off screen with some person who was never around and that answers everything. And that to me doesn't work for a mystery story. And yet this is the most famous fictional detective ever ever. And so, and the basically the reason why Sherlock is as big as he is today, other than the fact that, you know, again, those stories were very popular, was that Sherlock went into public domain pretty quickly, and yep. then basically fan fiction was invented with Sherlock yep. Holmes.
0: So. No, I would argue the majority of Sherlock Holmes written by Arthur Colin Doyle aren't great, but it's a good character, it's a good universe, and those two things lead to a plethora of ideas and stories.
1: Yeah, hell, I think Elementary is one of the best adaptations and it's a modern retelling.
0: I was really surprised by that because, you know, when that came out, everyone kind of cocked an eyebrow going, really a CBS police procedural don't we have enough Sherlock Holmes on TV right now well
1: it was really funny because house basically just finished and house was the best Sherlock adaptation in a long time Sherlock was happening which with which it's (laughs) with its big budget and having Stephen Moffat attached everyone thought was good and you know for the first season it's fine but there's a whole there's a whole H bomber guy video about why Sherlock was actually terrible from the beginning but anyway
0: uh, I lived through that you know why do we need elementary when we have Sherlock it's going to be so much better but guess ah, time what? Has a, remembered. <laughs> a cop
1: procedural was actually much better for that character than anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh the comments. Yeah, anyway. and
1: taking and taking a story or an idea and transposing it to another setting or another you know, anything has been a a staple of good storytelling for a long hell. One of the best movies in in since movies have existed is arguably The Lion King. Guess what? That's someone saying, Hey, let's do Hamlet but with lions.
0: Yeah, let's kind of you know broaden out the topic. with India. Lord of the Rings is the basis for all Western fantasy. Yeah, and we have continued to keep adapting it. No Lord of the. If you don't adapt, if you treat Lord of the Rings as holy text, unadaptable, you don't get Warhammer. You don't get D and D. You don't get Pathfinder. Let's you don't get, get any let's get a, of
1: them. Let's get a little more literal for a second. I actually think it's unfortunate that it's seen as sacred as it is, in that we don't get more direct adaptations of things, of Lord of the Rings in the vein of things like Lion King. Like, let me give you a very blunt example. Bright. Bright was a bad movie. Yeah. But it was not a bad idea. And, nope. and taking the idea of even more literal, what if someone just made Lord of the Rings the like the full story of Lord of the Rings but set in modern day in the same way that the Lion King is handled by with lions so like you can see all the beats you can see all the the characters their names are slightly different so they're modernized like if you had a good enough director behind that so that it was not even great but just good tell me you wouldn't find that interesting and worth watching
0: I mean we've seen it people keep adapting Lord of the Rings either into the greater degree or the lesser degree better or worse. And it kind of, unfortunately, is a problem of the Tolkien estate of they are super precious about adaptations of the work. And as we've seen in the lead up to the Ring of Power, Nazis and racists have really latched themselves onto Lord of the Rings as the last bastion of, you know, European myth, well, which is super ugly.
1: if we want to get into a particularly ugly discussion for at least a moment there, fascists have been obsessed with fantasy as a genre for about a hundred years at this point. I mean, Jojo Rabbit basically pointed out that the Nazis themselves were essentially children obsessed with an idea a fantasy idea of a mythological people.
0: To quote movie Bob, fascism is the ideology of little boys.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that the Lord of the Rings fan base probably has a fascist problem. But I think that's true of any fantasy fan base, and that's just something I to contend with.
0: Well, it's because it's big and it's dense, and you can memorize facts and blurb them out, and you think it means something.
1: Yeah, it's funny, because even the the really, for lack of a better term, the really, like, woke and or progressive fantasy series are still going to have their problem fans that are essentially, if not fascist, fascist fascist-adjacent, just different targets, so...
0: Yeah, and the funny thing I've learned is I kind of dug into the deep lore of Lord of the Rings is Tolkien was constantly changing his mind on things well, and was very vague
1: with a lot of things. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the whole thing that originally he was just telling stories to his kids and then they started questioning him so he was like, "Ah, shit, I got to go write this down so cuz they're gonna they're getting smarter."
0: So. I cannot confirm or deny that. I do know that the reason it is so dense and world building. Is he felt England did not have a proper mythology?
1: Hmm, interesting,
0: and that's why Lord so much of it is built off the Anglo Saxons and the Celts and the Romans. and He really loved the Scandinavian myths. It's really and, I mean, funny considering wrong.
1: that, uh, it's that's just funny to me considering that the Celts had a really rich mythology and they shared an island with England, but or an area, you, you know what I mean?
0: <sighs> yeah, but you gotta remember the celtic stuff kind of got stomped all over and yeah it's the, cool the thing, snakes out of
1: ireland i know
0: well it's just they didn't have a written record and then the people that were writing down the written record had active interest to rewrite the written record yeah and the british isles for a good chunk which i love this irony for a good chunk of its history was just getting invaded by everybody else <laughs> Fair. I do love that irony, like, for a good period of time, just everyone was in fucking up England.
1: Well, I know that there are some, I don't know what the right word is, is it anthropologists studying of peop, ancient peoples? I think it's anthropologists.
0: Yeah, anthropology study of ancient people.
1: Yeah, I, I know there are some anthropologists, and I don't know how valid they are seen in their field. They could be quacks, I don't know. I've just read a couple things that indicate there are theories that the Irish and the Scottish are both connected and descended from older Viking explorers so
0: depends on the region because ireland's fascinating because there's so many stories of then these people came and invaded then these people came and invaded then these people came and invaded and archaeologists and anthropologists go along like okay there's definitely some weird migration patterns going here these you know are different people so
1: yeah and by the way i know i use the word viking technically viking only applies to scandinavian people within about a four to six hundred year gap but you know what I meant, Scandinavian. This peoples. is
0: not a history podcast. Yeah. We are using the general terms.
1: Correct. I just want to be clear that I know that I just said the easy term. So
0: yeah. So no, there's definitely that in Lord. You know, Tolkien wanted to build a big epic history. And again, it's just it's so funny to read some of things like the dwarves were originally intended to be evil and more akin to you know Scandinavian Norse dwarves. Yeah, but, but he kind of also... changed his mind on that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had that conversation in a recording last year where we talked about dwarves as potential, or how do i say this the right way there are some people who think dwarves were an allegory for jewish people
0: i maintain they were you can't really okay i'm They've not fighting not it one way or the other i'm just tolkien saying tolkien does not said tolkien says he does not believe in allegory Yeah, fair. (laughs) But the fact that he based the dwarven language off Hebrew kind of raises questions. But it's interesting because the reason he changed the dwarves to be evil is like, well, that limited the story potential he could do with them. Also, another thing, it's one thing to talk about, hey, someone
1: wrote this book or this story or this play or made this movie, and now someone else wants to write a story that's connected to it, whether it's a prequel or a sequel or not related to Quill at all, but in the same universe. Prey was awesome, by the way. Uh, It's another thing entirely when you've got a writer who makes an entire, like, compendium of description of the universe that is not something that can really be adapted into a story on its own, a la The Silmarillion, and then it's like, that's literally essentially a... A hey, make stories with this playbook kind of thing, you know? Yeah.
0: No, that's kind of the, the Silmarillion really, is so hard to read because it's so dense. And like the forgotten tales are just kind of him doodling in the margins, like, well, what if I wrote about this? Or what if I did this? Or I don't like this anymore. So like Tolkien built his world to continue to be added to and expanded on. And he very much strikes me as if he were alive today. He's the George R.R. R. Martin type of author. He's going to keep releasing altered texts of his book. I guess. Like, he's going to go, I, you know, I've thought on, you know, the ending of Return of the King, and I'd like to add these addendums.
1: Honestly, I feel like, and I don't know enough about, about Tolkien, really, to say, but what little I've read about him tells me that I think if he were alive today, he wouldn't actually be all that interested in keeping up with his book stuff. I think he'd be more interested in teaching about it,
0: so... Oh, yeah. No, he was very into it. But all this to say, he wrote more story background than he did actual books. Yeah. Meaning he created the roadmap of, here's all these other stories that I didn't talk about in these three main books that I wrote and this one book. So let's talk about, you know, The Big Elephant in the Room and the reason people go back to, oh, you should never do any more The Hobbit.
1: Okay, but... Alright, two things about that. One, The Hobbit predates Lord of the Rings as far as written material is concerned, so it was always going to be adapted at some point. And two, just because this adaptation was not well-liked doesn't mean that it was not worth trying. It's more like there were issues with how they tried it. In fact, I think it'd be worth doing again. Probably the whole series would be worth doing again, but once you have a director who has something interesting to do with it. But the point is that just because The Hobbit was had some bad decisions doesn't mean that it wasn't the right decision to try to make it.
0: Yeah, and there are so many factors that went into why The Hobbit didn't work. Jackson didn't have the you know desire to do it. It was originally supposed to be a Guillermo del Toro movie. It was originally supposed to be two movies. But that's... I mean, right there.
1: You hit the... What I consider to be the main nail on the head is you you helmed a man who didn't have passion for it. Now, that's not me critiquing Peter Jackson. He obviously had passion for it when he made Lord of the Rings. But as you just said, he didn't really want to do The Hobbit. That means that you've got a director who doesn't have passion for the project they're in. That's going to show. You want an yeah. artist to have passion for the thing they're making.
0: Yeah. No. The Lord of the Rings worked for a multitude of reasons, but one of the big ones being Jackson loved this. This was a passion project. And if Del Toro did this, I think it would be a whole other movie.
1: Honestly, I was just listening to a, an interview with Carl Urban the other day, and he was talking about – he was on with Stephen Colbert, and, of course, Stephen Colbert immediately went to ask him about Lord of the Rings <laughs> because Stephen Colbert. And, yep. and he started talking about how Jackson would just, like, put out calls – for, like, everyone in New Zealand who could ride a horse.
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw that clip, too. And it was just like, yeah, hundreds of people showed up.
1: But it also, to me, strikes me as a very, like, how do I put this? Of his people kind of passion. Like, this was not just yes. Jackson's passion project. This was, like, a New Zealand passion project. And he was pushing forward his, his you know, that nation. And is, is actually Peter Jackson from New Zealand? I don't know.
0: Yes, he is in New Zealand.
1: Okay, I didn't know that. I was assuming it, and then as I was saying it, I was he like... A Kiwi. Like, okay, okay.
0: That's why he wanted to do it in New Zealand, was he wanted to hire local actors... That supports what I'm being, saying. <laughs> and it helped being on the bottom of the world, away from studio intervention.
1: Yeah. And again, the more stories you hear about behind the scenes of The Hobbit, the more it's like, just kind of... It was a rushed
0: production. Yeah. They were fucking breathing down their necks. There was an actor's strike going on. No, there are so many extenuating factors about The Hobbit that really kind of crippled it. And because honestly, the parts of The Hobbit I like best are the ones where we get to explore the world outside of the main trilogy.
1: Well, there's also the fact that, and I'm just going to bring this up so we can kind of put it aside. the Like, there's nothing wrong, actually, with CG-heavy effects kind of movie. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. I think that idea is coming up as a backlash against certain things and that movies who rely on it tend to not fill their gaps and and so people are creating a correlation and thinking it's a causation when it's it's not that being said the story of surya and mckellen in a room full of green and acting against literally no one and then getting caught on recording saying like this isn't why i became an actor again shows you the mindset that was going on on set and that's not helpful
0: (laughs) yeah so no really the sins of the hobbit aren't that they were trying to do a follow-up to an incredible trilogy it's that the mindset for doing this one was totally different from that original one because exactly. there were so many little things that make the lord of the rings great and i think the hobbit could have totally been great i think the hobbit could have completely worked as a trilogy expand that out fill in some gaps I, have some fun stuff
1: i still think it would have been better as just two movies the hobbit as a I book agree. is not that not that much
0: <laughs> <laughs> i i think it should have been two but I'm saying you could have made three work. Yeah. If well all good, these other factors had been there.
1: Yeah. And if you had Peter Jackson at the time at which he made Lord of the Rings and you had a lot of that cast at that time and they made the Hobbit instead, we'd probably see it the way we see Lord of the Rings now. It's just yeah. they would have been telling a different story. So it's just a lot of circumstances.
0: Yeah, no, there's so much going on that I don't feel that, you know, hanging the Hobbit around the neck of Lord of the Rings going, nope, see, this is why you can't do anything more with it. This is perfect. Because for the longest time, Lord of the Rings was treated as an unadaptable book. Couldn't be done. The closest they ever came was the Bakshi stuff in the 80s.
1: Which I will say the Bakshi stuff is fun. It gave me nightmares as a kid, but it was fun.
0: yeah. I don't know that was the clothes that was my introduction to Lord of the Rings because my brother loved Lord of the Rings and had that and it creeped me out and it was cool but then you go back and you watch it and you're like I can only imagine that this is the only Lord of the Rings we ever got and I just cry a little yeah
1: fair although I will say that I think the main way that things like that were getting uh, that's not the right way to say it. D&D and those circles were doing a lot to keep, like, Lord of the Rings as a quote-unquote fandom alive without having to have a movie adaptation because they were basically adapting it into their own worlds, so.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I I don't believe in holy text style fan, you know.
1: I don't think... <laughs> it's funny because... Even with holy texts you don't see that. How many times have stories from the Bible been adapted by different people in different forms? Hell, just look How at How many
0: times has the Bible changed from the Bible?
1: Yeah, that too. But I mean hell, just look at the Ten Commandments versus the Prince of Egypt, which the latter is a much better movie. Sorry, Charleston Hester. Yeah. So
0: no it's tie. it's no, there's so much going on there. So yeah, no, it's it's dumb to try and think that Lord of the Rings had to be a trilogy. Honestly I think they could redo the Lord of the Rings trilogy and maybe improve on it. Yes. I... Of, I would be optimistic, but I'm sure there are diehard Lord of the Rings fans. Like the one scene it was missing from being perfect and, I don't know. I'm not saying I want Tom Bombadil, but I'm not (laughs) saying I don't want Tom Bombadil.
1: I mean, I will say that Tom Bombadil is not nearly as important as Tom Bombadil fans make him out to be. He's
0: not, but he's just this... Here's the thing with Tom Bombadil. When I first read The uh, Fellowship of the Ring and he shows up, my brain was going, Who the fuck are you? What is going on? And that was just a mystery that I carried on for a very long time until I could get the internet. And the answer was, he's just a dude. It's, it's a, he's just a weird little thing that Tolkien slipped in that kind of just exists. I read
1: somewhere that the average age of an adaptation getting a new adaptation or a reboot is like 22 to 24 years or something like that. Which means that we're coming up on ish. The, uh, the time. But the question then, in my mind, would be how would you want to do it to distinguish? Because you still have a bunch of, like, the alive actors, and I think it's weird rebooting something like that when you still have the same people around. I would say, for a loose example, since we live in an age of prestige television, you know, trying to adapt it more like that, like a prestige television show, as opposed to a, a set of films. Like, you could easily make, you know, three seasons of you know 5 to 6 45 to hour long episodes so
0: yeah and i if you are cuz i mean we now we're kind of brushing up against the ring of power yeah and we'll, we'll circle back to that but no if you ha- like if you wanted to do another lord of the rings series cuz i'm amazed that warner brothers hasn't tried to do more with this Uh, Franchise.
1: Oh, they probably feel burned by The Hobbit, and now that's why it's taking... That made
0: money, though. And, I mean, Warner Brothers is literally grasping at straws right now. That's fair. And burning any goodwill they once had.
1: That's true.
0: (laughs) So, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and do something. But, no, if you're going to do something, and this is, like, back in the days when HBO Max still had hope, doing a series that's set during the beginning of the Third Age, like the fall... Uh, a post-fall of uh, Sauron could work because you have so many named characters everyone kind of knows and you have big setting piece, set pieces that people kind of recognize and you could kind of, you know, do what the Rings of Power is doing there. of. Hey, here's a story you kind of know with characters that you kind of know that answers questions you might have had.
1: I don't know, man. When I think about it, I feel like the Rings of Power, what little I know about it, is probably the right decision like yeah. literally taking the idea of the, the rings they're forging the entities who were alive back then particularly the idea of Sauron before he became Sauron like yes I know we've seen how that can go with Vader but <laughs> I feel like the, even, I feel like even that has justified itself with the sixth episode of Obi-Wan in some ways But a whole and the
0: thing with Sauron is he was always like that It's just the only version of him we've ever seen is the big, stompy, dark lord. And now we're going to get to see the Lucifer figure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, sidebar, but they figured out, I think, how to make Lucifer figures work really well in the show Lucifer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And no, I've been listening to some podcasts, kind of brushing up on the thing, my knowledge of the whole Lord of the Rings. I'm like, I have a lot of faith that this is going to work just as a story. Because, again, Tolkien mapped this shit out. Like, details are there. The seasons and scripts are just kind of there. It's just a matter of can you capture the passion that really sold that original trilogy.
1: Yeah, so as far as concepts are concerned, I think Rings of Power is the literally the right idea. Of looking at the rings themselves, the story of their creation, the characters and players around it, setting the stage for the stories that we know. Because, again, when you're doing... You literally have three main options. There, You have an infinite number of options. But you can tell a story that's before the story you know, a story that's after the story you know, or a story that's within the story you know. And going beforehand, during the prequel thing, is a perfectly valid choice. And when you've got a MacGuffin as ubiquitous and influential as The One Ring, doing a story about that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, plus this show kind of solves the prequel problem because you know it ends with the big battle at the, you know, foots of uh, Mount Doom with the Last Alliance of Men and Elves and Sauron loses. What you don't know is how the fuck you got there. Yeah. And fortunately, Tolkien wrote a whole lot about how we got there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of how we got there and there's wars sprinkled in between there because it's Tolkien, and he's like, there's no way there would be hundreds of years and people weren't doing things.
1: Yeah, what's funny is you can say that that's, like, the main difference between this and something like the Star Wars prequels, where in that case you had George Lucas in some ways flying by the seat of his pants writing his own story, and no one knew if it was any good until it came out, whereas in this case we've got, well, the story that they'd be adapting, or at least the events that they'll be adapting have already been written down for decades and we've had people pouring over them and analyzing them and deciding what's good and interesting and so there's already a lot of feedback about the kinds of events and details that are going to be adapted so
0: yeah and do you know what made the prequels better in just you know the current zeitgeist they went back and they filled in all the fun details that we were missing and it's like oh You know when you actually have some stuffing to your sausage it's palatable
1: yeah that's fair again at the end of the day for me though it's gonna be about the performances and the actors i yeah i'd rather have a bad story with good performances than a good story with bad performances which is why i don't care for james cameron's avatar but you know come at me internet so
0: (laughs) i feel like you have been vindicated by the pop culture monster In how everyone now hates Avatar.
1: Sorry, I'm just so used to getting attacked by that, because I was there, I was saying this right when it came out, so anyway, we've talked about that in a previous recording. So (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a weird thing, it's like, Jesus Christ, I... (laughs) People online are too excited to hate things nowadays.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, is I I don't want to be negative about anything, and I... I generally want things to be good. Why would you not want pieces of art to be good? The only the only reason you wouldn't want pieces of art to be good is if like everyone involved is a shit person that you don't want to succeed. But even then, like I don't like Orson Scott Card, but that doesn't mean I have anything against any of the actors who were in Ender's Game. So doesn't mean I wanted to fail. I want to succeed. I want to be good. So I didn't. I didn't care, but I wanted to be good just for those people, you know.
0: Yeah, that one's. That one's a complicated one. Yeah, but you get my point
1: that it's like there's <laughs> yes. not one person involved. There's a bunch of people involved. And stories are. The connection between a story and any individual person associated with it, when there's that many people involved in it, it gets tricky. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's kind of talk about what is the worst case scenario if The Rings of Power are bad.
1: We'll have a season, it will be terrible. People will be like. Alright, well, I'm time to go marathon Lord of the Rings. And then in probably about ten years, you'll hear them do something else Lord of the Rings related. Probably more directly related to the original Lord of the Rings because they'll be like, well, people don't like prequels. Or maybe they'll try to do a sequel instead. But the point is you won't see another prequel-ish series again for probably several decades. That's really the worst case. Lord of the Rings ain't going anywhere. The original movies ain't going anywhere. And the the worst case would just be that these actors don't get a They don't get to keep their job, essentially, and then you won't see any more specific Lord of the Rings content for a few years. Probably like five or six, if I were to take a guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's they've already kind of started working on season two, so Amazon must have liked what they saw. Then again, uh, The Wheel of Time is already greenlit for season three, and I feel like that was soundly rejected, but I don't know the numbers. Yeah. No, my only real concern, like if this falls flat on its face, that would be sad because I'm always happy to go play in these worlds. Like if I love the world, I'm like, yes, I want to go back and play in it. I, 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 will, I will go back happily. The only concern is if it flops, I feel like it's going to be vindication for all the worst people that have been doing nothing bitching about. They added black people to Lord of the Rings. There aren't any black people in Lord of the Rings. What are they doing? How dare they sacrilege against the Lord of the Rings.
1: You know what? You're absolutely right. You said what's the worst case scenario. And I focused on what the worst case scenario is for Lord of the Rings as a medium. Not the worst case scenario for Lord of the Rings as a cultural phenomenon and fandom. Because fucking A, man. You're absolutely right. I don't want those people to get any sort of quote unquote ammo. Because fuck them.
0: (laughs) And I mean, they're going to make that complaint anyways they're going to you know go oh it's, it's it's not making the money it is as it you know crosses the 2 billion dollar well,
1: mark we saw what happened with those people with Rise of Skywalker cuz Rise of Skywalker was fucking t- terrible but not for any of the reasons that the worst people on the internet were trying to say it was so
0: yeah no it's 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 dumb and you know i don't want them to have any happiness i know they're going to bitch by the no way what
1: by the way, if for some reason that you're out there listening and you're following, yes, my opinion on Rise of Skywalker has actually gotten worse over time. Opinions change. I'm a yeah. fucking human being.
0: So <laughs> I never liked it, so. Yeah.
1: Anyway, my point is that at least in that case, it was bad for reasons that were not what the shitty YouTube people that you Anyway. <laughs> little rant. So
0: Yeah, little rant aside. So But no. but on the other
1: hand on the other hand good thing could potential. I want more... We talked about this in the Game of Thrones recording, how there's a correlation. I still am not convinced a causation, but there's a correlation between the show going into closer to high fantasy, or at least coming up the fantasy ladder, getting more magic and stuff, and the show's ratings and slash quality going down. Again, I don't think that's causation, but there's a correlation there. I want the idea of high magic, high fantasy to become a lot more normalized. The Witcher is doing a good job of that since the Witcher actually got some decent numbers. I don't know if Season 2 did. I hadn't paid attention to it. But point is that the more that things like the Rings of Power succeed or the Wheel of Time succeed, the more that high fantasy and magic and stuff can be seen as normal, valid, good parts of storytelling, the more likely it is I get Warhammer stuff in ad, in live action.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. My nerds gather around and explain to me, why do we not want fantasy to succeed? Why do we not want more things that are as good as that original Lord of the Rings trilogy? Why are we sitting here going, no, no, can't make any more. Like, For fuck's sake, we are starved in the fantasy genre. We are just now getting breadcrumbs. Yeah, and...
1: You could argue we are actually getting a lot of fantasy stuff, but we're getting fantasy light stuff, yes. as it were. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a way to, like, it's it's dipping toes of the general audience into these ideas, getting them acclimated to these concepts so that when someone makes a Warhammer fantasy adaptation or 40K adaptation, which is probably more likely to happen first, people aren't as thrown by the idea of, like, the warp. Because they'll be used to... Similar concepts in other popular fantasy media. So Yeah,
0: no. The Witcher's great. I want more of that. I want more of that across the board. I mean, we're finally getting an Aragon adaptation from Disney that in theory will be good.
1: Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's like I shouldn't have had to wait that long to get another pass at that. I mean, there should be already should be a good, and I'm stressing good here, D series. Yeah,
1: well, Legend of Vox Machina is pretty good, but it is an animation, so leave I it. I have
0: issues with that because it feel it doesn't feel like it's using... <sighs> I'm, I'm just going to make my, 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 my points clear with why I don't like Vox Machina, is it still feels like it's embarrassed of its medium.
1: Really? I didn't get that vibe from it, but very well. It is so
0: caught up in we are an adult animation and we're making piss and shit jokes...
1: Yeah, but I feel like what was going on there in it, it just an, as a as literally a regular D and D player, I play twice a week. To me, it was because Legend of Vox Machina was an adaptation of the experience of playing D and D with your friends, which is that.
0: So yeah, but I feel like that is where D and D is kind of stuck at the moment, is we're not adapting the universe and doing fun fantasy stories. We're adapting this thing that nerds play in their basement.
1: Yes, but I'd argue that's actually kind of fascinating that that is, because literally, when I saw the trailer for the D&D movie, the the one thing I thought was, oh, it looks like they're doing an adaptation of the actual in-universe universe and not like an adaptation that is a bunch of people around the table playing D&D, like the gamers' darkness rising, which I fucking love, which D&D's a game. So I feel like that's part of the... You don't need to have crazy s- stakes of like the end of the world. Like, the stakes could literally be are they going to have a good time and tell a good story like it was in the game of darkness rising and that movie, despite being an amateur film was fucking amazing. So anyway, different strokes, different no. folks.
0: Yeah, and that's its own thing is talking about scale and whatnot. But again, Lord of the Rings set the bar for big, epic, grand fantasy. Yeah. And to reiterate the idea of saying they did it once, they were great. Now we can never do that again is asinine to me.
1: Also, even if that's true, which it isn't, you could always surpass heights. There is no ceiling for art that just isn't a thing. I was, it isn't. Even if it was true, though, to me, there was something very, very valid in striving endlessly for an unattainable goal. Like, there's a concept that I've had for... a I don't know, like ten years now of when people say like the earth ain't perfect or the world isn't perfect or blah, 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 and I went and it, for a while I understood what they were what people were saying when they said that but then the thought crossed my mind okay it isn't but why is that an excuse to be shitty why isn't the response yet yeah, isn't perfect but we should always be trying to make it perfect to make it better striving towards perfection towards betterment same thing with art like. You should always be passionate and trying to do better, trying to rise to new heights, trying to find new corners, new avenues, new stories, new techniques, all these things. You can take what was a great story and a great framework and adapt it with whole new eyes and new ideas and things that the people back then couldn't even possibly conceive of to see if you can deliver that art in a new way to deliver something new to a new audience. That. There- Art is powerful, damn it, and you shouldn't be trying to limit it.
0: Yeah, no, that is kind of the thing. Like, if I had one thing going back and watching The Lord of the Rings, it's like, you know, some of this CGI hasn't aged as well as it could have. Yeah, now... And if we redid it, that's something to do. Also, we could fix the little issues that happened in the original trilogy, like it being incredibly white.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, my rant aside... Does that mean that there is not a downside? to Yeah, there is. You're making risks. And whenever you take risks, sometimes things don't go well, a la the RoboCop reboot, for example. But Yeah,
0: that's one no one remembers or talks about.
1: Yeah, exactly. Guess what? RoboCop, the original, still fucking amazing, and one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. Its legacy was not harmed by that terrible like 2010s reboot movie that no one remembers. Yeah, everyone
0: so, forgets it. Everyone remembers, yeah, Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop, that fucking rules. No one remembers the terrible one.
1: I literally that only is... remember it as a example of what I'm describing right now.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it is a go-to example of, well, bad remakes damage the original. You mean like RoboCop?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just because you're going to maybe have some bad movies, maybe you're going to have a lot of bad movies. If you get some good ones out of it, that's, I mean... The good ones will survive and go on, and the bad ones will be forgotten. So what's the downside at that point? I
0: I could be misquoting, but I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said, nothing ventured, nothing gained.
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure that line is much older than him, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's just one I like to use in my everyday life because For, it is so true.
1: Fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the brave. These, I think I looked up. I saw some stupid trailer with, like uh, – matthew damon who about crypto which made me really disappointed in matthew damon um where he said fortune favors oh, the yeah. bold and i googled the phrase and like there have been instances of that phrase existing since like ancient greece or something so
0: well yeah it's named for the uh goddess of good luck fortuna
1: oh yeah there you go
0: so yeah no it's literally about you know the goddess of good fortune will smile on you if you're risking shit And again, going back to the very, 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 very beginning of this whole thing. Had we stuck to the idea of Lord of the Rings can only work as this book series, we never would have gotten the Peter Jackson movies.
1: True. I mean, that's literally, it was called the unfilmable book for a reason. So, and then it was filmed.
0: Then some crazy Kiwis decided to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I know that this is somewhat contentious but we've made it very clear what our opinions on the Watchmen movie are here. And that was called the unfilmable comic for a long time. So,
0: Oh, then (laughs) I'm happy. We have a genuinely positive community, but I feel like we're just laying bear traps in the comments.
1: I I don't care. I'm going to defend Watchmen because I love that movie. So
0: we we've talked about Watchmen. (laughs) I've called out Vox Machina. Um, We're talking about Lord of the Rings online
1: yeah i'm i'm all right i'm an idiot whatever <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> you don't handle the socials that is fair
0: <laughs> all right so that's our big concluding thoughts let us know if you agree disagree or you know have thoughts otherwise i'm really genuinely curious if to, to summarize you're like us
1: summarize the the question should lord should x have remained y answer no I don't care what you fill the blanks with. Art evolves. So, there's my answer.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, we can always keep doing better things. Yep. Alright, let's roll on into our suggestions of the week. Well, my suggestion of the
1: week, I actually changed it while we were talking, because I I was going to suggest Titus, which is my favorite sitcom, and all for free on YouTube, which I still suggest anyway. But... I'm gonna actually suggest *Prey*, the new Predator movie that's on Hulu, which is getting a lot of good buzz for good reason, cause it's fucking awesome. I mean, I don't know what yeah. to, I don't know what else to tell you. It's a new Predator movie. It's the best one since the first one, and I okay. So real quick, Predator is fucking amazing. It's basically a perfect movie. And I, we, we throw, we've been throwing around this word perfect for a while here in a weird way. But original Predator is probably my second favorite Arnold movie, only because Terminator 2 is actually super influential on me as a kid. But Predator might actually be, like, a more pure movie. Predator 2 is fun. It's stupid, yep. but it's fun. Predators is fucking awesome. It's not as good as Predator 1 because it's, like doing this, like, Predator versus Predator Civil War thing was a little odd, but it was still pretty good. The Predator was terrible. (laughs) I actually, full disclosure, I didn't watch it, so I have no actual opinions on The Predator, but no one I respect, even people I don't respect, said it was terrible, and basically, The Predator tries to steal an autistic kid for the power of autism, and that just made me uncomfortable hearing that. So... But then... But then Prey is 1719 Comanche girl who wants to be a hunter comes across a predator in the woods who's killing her tribesmen as well as some a-hole french fur traders and she's got to stop it and it kicks ass so it i i'm super mad that it wasn't released in theaters because i really wish i could have seen it on a big screen
0: a lot of people are they're like oh the amount of money you just burned
1: yeah the only reason I can imagine that they didn't release it in theaters is that they chose to have a stream only deal when they originally, you know, contracted it is because The Predator was so bad apparently. And because I hate bringing this up, but you know, Hollywood business bullshit, you've got a cast It's Hollywood
0: of, business bullshit.
1: Yeah, you've got a cast of basically all Native Americans. There's a cut of the movie that apparently is all in Comanche, which I think sounds fucking awesome, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Hollywood bigwigs Saw that and was like, "Oh, minority movie, don't waste the no, money it in theaters." No, it, it wasn't
0: even that complex. Basically, what it was was because of specific wording in the Fox Disney merger. If it went to theaters, then HBO would have first streaming rights.
1: Ah, that's even dumber than I. Th- I mean, that's less terrible but it's dumber than i thought
0: (laughs) yeah and disney didn't want to share and they're like well we need to boost hulu while we still let it exist
1: well anyway i don't really give a shit about boosting hulu but go watch prey so because it's awesome yeah
0: no it's on the list working through the predator movies with my daughter we have to get through predators first and then we're on to prey
1: yeah go ahead exactly skip there's Prey is the fourth Predator movie, and I'm sticking to that sentence. Yeah, no, (laughs) remember
0: how we said earlier about continuity and, you know, bad movies and not letting them exist and ruin your fandom? This is a great example. I'm not going to address The Predator. There is so much wrong with that movie. I'm just going to go, nope, this does not bring me joy. Yep,
1: exactly. Anyway, there's my suggestion.
0: All right. Uh, My suggestion is, I feel like it's one everyone knows, but I was watching a lot of it over the weekend. That's uh, King of the Hill.
1: You know, King of the Hill is interesting to me because I feel like it's one of those shows that... There are some sitcoms that need to be, like, left in their time and can... Even if they're good, they just don't need to be re-examined or revisited by a new generation. Like, I like Roseanne. I love John Goodman. But Roseanne doesn't really need to exist for modern... Better example, All in the Family. I grew up loving All in the Family. I don't really need new generations to discover it. It can kind of get lost to history. King of the Hill doesn't really fit that for me. I feel like King of the Hill, partially because it's animated, but partially because it's a... It's not a skewering. It's more like a sincere look at... It's an
0: examination.
1: Yeah, an examination of of a, for lack of a better term, conservative family, but a conservative good people family by someone who doesn't actually appear to share those values which is not the kind of thing you see get created in modern day
0: <laughs> yeah no, king of the hill is weird and real quick it is in some level of reboot continuation process which we've all been talking about what king of the hill looks like today and i'm genuinely excited for it
1: yeah I don't know, like but, uh, the other day I saw this this clip of Bobby talking to Peggy. For anyone who doesn't know, Bobby is this like 12-year-old kid and Peggy is the mom and Bobby's overweight. He's, you know, the husky kid and he says something like his mom is like saying I don't want you to get, you know, picked on and he's like, "Why? I'm yeah, I'm fat. I'm also funny and charming and, you know, smart. I'm all these other things. I'm not just one thing. I'm not going to let anyone put me down because of one thing I am." Now I'm going to go squirt my girl or girlfriend with a squirt gun. What are you yeah. going to do?
0: No. One of the reasons I bring this up is over the weekend, I was you know, staying at a hotel, and you have the basic cable packages of what to watch on TV. Didn't spend a lot of time there, but there was time in the morning and there was time at night. And I turned it on, and I found a King of the Hill marathon. I'm like, oh, cool. And I watched, and like, not only is this still good, but this is good in new ways, including the episode in which Hank was upset about the censoring of the texas history book to omit uh certain elements of history it's like oh this one has only gotten better with time but what? in a fun inverse way well
1: that's what i mean because i don't claim to know mike judge but based on like idiocracy and beavis and butthead and other things that mike judge has done i feel like he probably leans a very specific set of directions politically speaking that is not equivalent to what Hank Hill, the character, does, but he treats Hank Hill as a person, a legit, sincere, genuine... Like, Hank Hill's a good guy. He's a good yep. guy with a set of values that probably don't necessarily align with the creator or even a lot of the audience, even though I have met... The number of people I've met who are like, I don't like cartoons, but I watch that one because they're older, usually older guys. You know, th- I think there's something valuable there. So,
0: Yeah, no... Helio, I was just is still good, and is good in new and interesting ways. And I really do hope they go through with this reboot because there's so much contemporary stuff I kind of want them to tackle. Because in some ways, it's very much of its time, but in a way that feels genuine. Like, I... yeah, no, this was the legitimate. You know, kind of conversations we had, but it's not really coming down one way or the other. In how it's you know viewing and i just love that you know there's a plot about all oh, these new textbooks they've you know cut out all the texas history for risk of offending people they don't talk about the alamo anymore and it's like meanwhile in texas like there's no man slavery no we never had that genocide of the natives. no we didn't have that we had the alamo well, let's talk about the alamo we're not gonna talk about the context of the alamo or what led to the alamo i mean <laughs>
1: sidebar, no offense to anyone living in Texas, I actually have some friends from Texas, but if you've ever read the article the, the articles of secession which are, during the Civil War each of the confederate states gave their own paragraph or two reason why they were seceding Texas's is by far the most egregious in being very definitively because we want slaves. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of hilarious.
0: So Yeah no, it was just so funny. It's like this is the episode I landed on right now while, you know, all these schools are busily censoring themselves. Like, no, we can't have this. It might confuse or upset the children. And that's a joke in this episode of, like, this is bad. You shouldn't censor history because it makes you uncomfortable.
1: I know it's not nearly as important, but the King of the Hill joke that always stuck out with me was, uh, but Dad, what if someone asks for their steak well done? Well, then we ask them politely but firmly to leave.
0: Yes. Oh, uh, again, this show is still so good. And it's on Hulu. You can go watch it and enjoy it while Hulu still exists. Is it, then... weird?
1: Is it weird that I feel like Mike Judge is an underrated and or underappreciated cr- creator? Like, he's he's very f- successful. He's made numerous shows. Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill are both big. Idiocracy was is a cult movie, so it wasn't very popular at the time, but... And yet, I feel like his name should be the same level of, like, well-known among masses as, like, Judd Apatow or something. Not for the same reasons, but, you know, I'm just giving a loose example. And yet, I don't feel like it is. You know
0: what I mean? I think Judd Apatow kind of sucked all the air out of the room for a quirky white guy director. Yeah, maybe. Like, I know in my mind, for the longest time, the two are interchangeable, and that's not fair. It I think,
1: really isn't fair, because they're I think very Judd different.
0: Apatow, I think Mike Judge is a better director. Overall, I, and uh, writer?
1: I think they're very different. Like, they're writing very different things. So, I was just using that as an... Uh, then again, I might have been putting them together in my head, and that's why that was the example I came up with to say that. So, I get it.
0: So, uh, go get yourself a Hulu subscription. Watch King of the Hill and Prey. Come yes. back to us. And then make sure you have your Amazon subscription so you can watch uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, get your HBO Max subscription so you can watch, you know, Lord of the Rings. And, I don't know, throw a Disney Plus one in there because... You know, these poor streaming companies, they really need your dollars right now.
1: Meanwhile, I'm just going to play Total War and not buy any of these and hope that my friends have them,
0: so... No, if it's not clear I'm being facetious, we're about to start seeing these suckers drop like flies. The great slaughtering of the streaming wars has begun. Certainly. All right, well, thank you for listening, especially to that long ramble there at the end. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that the podcast algorithms demand of you. Because if you don't, much like SARM, you will die and disappear from this world.
1: And said like, share, and subscribing could happen on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or the FiresideLines.com. I actually don't know which all of them allow like, sharing, subscribing, all those things. I don't know how that, that particular part of this works. But... If you really want to help us, then you can actually rate us on Spotify and that will do some crazy internet voodoo magic and that will make things better for us because the more people see us, the more we grow and the more we
0: grow, the more we can do. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his SHIELD brother, Axel Ray. Be sure to tune in next time and as always, stay honorable.